0: First John, if you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, it's all the way towards the very end of your Bibles. A little backdrop for the book of First John. A letter that he wrote, the author obviously being John the Apostle. James and John were called the Sons of Thunder. Where did he get a name like that? Sons of Thunder. Well, there's in the gospel accounts there's a story of James and John, these brothers, talking about a certain city and saying, you know what, Lord, we need to rain down fire on them. We need to go ahead and and we need to make sure that they know who we are. And, And they were radical in the way that they carried themselves. And they had the Lord on their side and they probably thought, you know what, I've got the king of the universe and I say, let's rain down fire on this city. That's this John that we're dealing with tonight could imagine he was probably quite radical in those early days. Go on, fast forward through time and see where the apostle John would end up. You see him in his writings. He has a certain way that he talks about himself. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You'll see that in his letters. and John would say that. And I go, wow, that's incredible. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, I believe that John wasn't saying that he was any better than any of the other disciples. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm top notch. I'm the one that's special. I believe that, guess what? That he had come to experience this great love from a Savior. This great love from a God who he had actually spent time with. Who he's actually hung out with. Who he had been discipled by. And he had experienced the love of God. He experienced the touch of Jesus. And because of it, like so many of us, that love has changed John into the disciple whom Jesus has loved. And I'll tell you that because it's the one, the one thing that has changed me radically is the love of God. I ran from it. I didn't believe God loved me. And you know what? He went after me, and he has went after you, and he has found you. And what he wants you to experience is, in me, is his love. And it will radically transform your whole life. I'm not speaking of the love of the world that will love you when you're doing good. They'll love you when you have things. They'll love you if you've got big, huge, bold names, flashing lights. I'm speaking about a love that even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our very worst, people, the love of Christ stretched out His arms on a cross and showed true love, as we sung about a little while ago. Love. Love for me and love for you. And I and praying that love that God has for you would change your life because it surely has mine. I am baffled that God loves me. And I mean that. I know myself better than anybody in this room. I know Steve Norgren real well. And I know that I'm not the most loving or lovable kind of guy. I know that I've been filled with much hatred in my life. For people, circumstances, and things. We're going to talk about that tonight. Those all change. But you know, the love of God, it's much, much greater than any of that. And I tried to run. And I tried to hide. And God would have His way. I'm so grateful for His rescue mission. It's the, the theme for this ministry, rescued, redeemed, and Restored. He has rescued us. He rescued me. I was lost, man. I was going down. Redeem me by the blood of the Lamb. And then you know what He does? He is restoring us. He's restoring us, bringing us back to where we can actually have our minds cleared out and it can be renewed and God's Word can come in there and, and just be washed. And it changes the heart. And not amazing? The work of God is so different than man. Man tries to change the outward. But God goes right inside and changes us from the inside out. And then the outward starts to work itself out. And this is where John had found himself. John had found himself touched by the Lord. The date and place of this Letter, tradition says that John was actually the pastor at Ephesus. Most likely, he was in Ephesus at the time. This was written. He wrote it to Christians all over the Asia Minor. And this is the wonderful thing I love about the Word of God, that it's written to you and I. And I'm amazed about that because... I read the Word and I get so much encouragement from it, and I say, wow, this is amazing. This was written how many thousands of years ago? And the reason is because of what I spoke. This is God's Word. It's His living Word. It's not like reading history. i got a little history for you. This is God's written Word. It's probably written after the Gospel, before the persecution that happened about A.D. 95, which places its writing as one of the later books written in the late 80s or early 90s. This is probably one of the later books written about 25 years after the book of Acts. Revelation would have been written even later than this epistle. The apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of John, the gospel. He wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now let's take a look at why John wrote this letter. John's writing to Christians who were looking at Christianity as a tradition. Their passion for God was lacking. Can I ask you tonight, is that that something that may be happening in your very own life? You know, I've just found myself in a place where, you know what? We were singing a song at the ranch the other night, and it's don't let my love go cold. I'm calling out light the fire again. And I found myself in a place, spiritually speaking, where I've gotten a little cold. I've gotten a little indifferent. I started to take a look at my life. I'm going, you know, Lord, where's that passion? Where's that love that I had in the beginning, God? Where is it at? You see, we get used to something, we have a passion for it, and we lose it, don't we? You get fired up around football season and then the Super Bowl happens. Your team either wins or loses or they didn't even make it. And then guess what? You're on to the next thing, correct? That's how it goes in our life. But you know, that's what happens sometimes with our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? We start off real well. And God's working in our life and that passion is there. And God's speaking to us and God's doing great things. And then all of a sudden, something hits our life. And we end up falling by the wayside. We end up being led by our feelings, emotions. It's fine and dandy when, oh, the little cloudy mushroom clouds, and we're riding on them, and everything's great. But then in comes this trial into our life, right? The gold's for the fire, right? Preacher, buddy, told me a little while ago. You want gold? guess what, it takes the fire. Unfortunately, what happens in our life, the fire ends up, gets us to where we're screeching and, and, "Ah, I don't like this. And once again, we fall by the wayside and we never quite get to that place where we're really sold out for the Lord, where we're really being used by God, where we're really enjoying the fullness of God. And I'm telling you that tonight because I am that man. I am that man that's happened over and over again. It's fitting where we're at tonight. And we need to make sure that, you know what, that we're not led and guided by our feelings. That, you know what, that we keep that first love. That we keep that fire burning in us, the fire of God that that burns for Him. and How good He is. And you're experiencing it on a regular basis because uh, otherwise, man, we start to burn out. It's a bummer when that happens. Found, like I said, in my own life, a little flickering lately. I want to flicker. I want to shine bright. I want to be a light for God. And I want to have a fire up in my life where I'm enjoying the fullness of God. And that's what God wants for his children. And that's what happens when Christians let that love grow colder and colder and this should never happen because of God's living word, which is truth. If that's the anchor, if that is the truth of God is in your life, then guess what? That fire should never, ever grow dim. It should never, ever happen. Start to get out of God's word. I don't know where you're at if your Bible has been opened recently, or whether it's got dust on it, or whether it's... Something you read it because you have to. But have you been into God's living word recently? Have you been encountering God on a regular basis? If you have, you have the fire all up in you. Because God works through His word. And He works in our lives. You lay it down, and guess what? You'll start to go cold. And John wants to make sure that we know God's word is truth. That it's not some kind of fable. It's not something that man just kind of came up with. He wants us to know that it is God's Word. Listen to what he says in verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the Word of life. Verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to you. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you That you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John is speaking here of Jesus, the eternal God, and how he had heard Jesus speak. But not only had he heard Jesus, he saw Him with his own two eyes. John is saying, I saw Jesus i seen him walk on water. i seen him heal lepers. I touched him. I reached out and, uh, and handled him. He's not a ghost. He's, he wasn't a spirit. Very important because, see, at this time, is there was an awful teaching that had crept into the church called Gnosticism. And what it was, it was trying to say Jesus was some kind of phantom spirit. And then he really wasn't flesh and blood. John is right away making sure that we know that this Jesus was flesh and blood. John spent time with Jesus. He was part of the, the inner core. Peter, James, and John, he was a, a special at special times with Jesus when, when things would happen. When he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was with you know, Moses and Elijah up there, it was amazing. John was there. He's seen Jesus, radiant in all his glory. I'm sure he was almost blinded. This is at John. And John's saying, guess what? I want to declare this to you. That Jesus isn't no phantom. He ain't no ghost. Listen to what 2 Peter would say, chapter 1, verse 16. says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables. When we made known to you The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter is speaking here of that. You know what? We're eyewitnesses. We've seen. This is an eyewitness account. Listen to what he's saying in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and we were with them on the holy mountain. And so we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now listen here in verse number 20. Pay attention. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter was on that mountain, he is saying it, that I seen him in his glory. I heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. He is telling you that, you know what, this is not a fable. This is God's word. He was there. And Peter wants us to be very sure that he is God. So he's writing to us. And he's telling us here that, you know what, that you can be assured that it's the truth because it's God's word. More so than my eyewitness, more so than that I'm telling you that I've seen with my own two eyes is we have something greater and it's God's word. Look at the passion that these men had for the word of God. You see, men would go to their death saying, you know what? Renounce Jesus and you'll live. Could you imagine if, so, if, if someone came in here tonight and lined us up on the on stage and said, you know what, renounce Jesus and live. Don't renounce him, we're taking you out. How many people would walk off this stage over and over again through the ages from the very early church with John and Peter? Men and women have been given their lives for Jesus, for what they believe, and they believe in Him. Horrendous deaths. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the horrendous stories. Read the stories, and they're about John himself. Talks about John being boiled in, in oil, in a big cauldron of oil. The Apostle John. Imagine that. Like a piece of chicken, man. The guy was boiled. And he lived through that. That's what tradition says. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing man. But there's many, many through the ages that stood up for the truth of God, that stood up and said, Jesus is alive. Jesus is God. And John doesn't want this next generation of believers to lose that. To lose that message that Jesus is God. So this is why he pens this letter. See, Christians were being swayed by false doctrine at this time. All kinds of false doctrines were weaving them way into the church. You probably heard, you know probably know, when Paul writes a lot of his letters, he's writing and he's, he's telling the, the church to beware. I'm gone now. beware of these savage wolves. Beware of these people that will come in. They'll come into your group and they'll try to pull you away from the the, the gospel, from the truth. But John also doesn't want the believers to become complacent in their faith. He doesn't want Christians to start to, to lose the fire. You remember when you met the Lord and all your sins were forgiven... When you came into a relationship with Christ and the big, huge backpack full of bricks was lifted off your back and you realize, wow, I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven all my sin. And you experience the love of God. God just says, you know what? Oh, I've been waiting for so long for you to come home, my daughter, my son. I've been waiting for you. Been wanting to work in your life. You remember how it felt to, to have that relationship with Christ. Have you lost that? Have you? Is that still burning in your heart? John wants to make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen to anyone, especially here as he writes to the church. He wants them to have a passion for God and a passion for his word. The four reasons he wrote this letter, let's check them out. Number one, that your joy may be full. 1 John 1.4 And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John is writing, and he is saying, guess what? I want you to be filled with the joy of God. Joy is much different than happiness. Happiness is like this. I just got a tax return check, right? Great. I'm happy. Good. Awesome. Man, I could pay some bills. I could do some things, right? I can do something, man, right? I finally got me a little money, man, right? And then all of a sudden, guess what? Somebody comes along and steals your tax return check, and you don't have nothing. You ain't so happy no more, are you? Or how about this one? You know what? You go into the movie theater, man, and you know what? Oh, it's such an awesome movie, and you see the book of Eli, man, and it's just awesome, right? And then all of a sudden you walk out of the movie theater and back to real life. No more of the movie, and you walk out, and you're back to real life. And you ain't so happy no more, because you have to go back home, you got to go back to work, Got all this stuff working in your life. See, that's happiness. I think the word is happenstance is where we get it. It's built upon circumstances and all that. Joy is much different. Joy is given to you by the Lord. Joy is an awesome thing to have. It's a fruit of the spirit, by the way. The fruit of the spirit is love, and joy. Nobody can steal your joy. They can't get it from you. These men who would go and give their lives for Christ and John being boiled in oil and John being banished to the island of Patmos is writing this letter. If anybody would have reason to be losing joy, I think that the Apostle John would be at the top of the list. We haven't had a bad day like off to the cauldron of oil thrown into it. Joy can't get it from you. If you're experiencing the real joy of God, guess what? Nobody can get it from you. They can put you in jail. They can handcuff you. They can do whatever. They can take away your birthday. They can take away your food, your water. But joy comes from the Lord, and they can't get it. Number two is that you may not sin. This is a second reason why John wrote this book, that we would not sin. Let's take a look at it in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Listen here. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that. John's saying, you know what? I'm writing that you might not sin. But most likely, guess what? You're going to sin. And we need to understand that we have an advocate I love that word coming out of the criminal, you know, lifestyle that I was delivered from. Advocate was a very neat word. Because I always hoped to get a good lawyer. I never did. I got public pretenders and public offenders and all those. And I seemed like I got railroaded a lot of times. But most of the time I deserved what I had coming. The Bible says that, you know what, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. We have the best attorney there is. And guess what he's doing right now? as we're sitting here at Calvary Chapel Greenville tonight. You know what Jesus is doing for you and I? He's making intercession for you and I. He's saying, she's mine. He's mine. Oh, yes, I see him stumbling a bit, but guess what? My children. My church. Jesus is for you, remember that. He's not against you. I love that, you know, because I got the mentality of God for many years that God was like the big mean principle that you know what you go into the office and I don't know for some reason I didn't get really a whole lot of love from the principles when I was growing up you know and that's kind of the picture that I had of God God was always waiting for me to make a mistake and God always wanted to come down on me that's not the correct picture of the Lord the Lord is not waiting for you and I to fall he's not waiting to go ahead and punish us He will discipline us because he loves us. And we need to understand that discipline, that it's a good father that would discipline his children. Matter of fact, we see parents that don't discipline their children, and they are not good parents because they do not discipline their children. Suffered dearly from that in my very own life. No discipline. God's good. Number three, that you may not be deceived. Listen to John chapter 2, verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. John is saying that there are people around that are trying to pull you away from the simple truth of God. We have to be on our guard. John doesn't want us to be deceived. Deception is a very, very awful thing. Most of us have experienced it greatly in our life and I don't know about you but I remember the day that my eyes were opened up and I realized that I had been deceived and I had been being deceived by my lifestyle. I had been deceived by the way that I was living and what I thought was right was not really right at all and it really will will turn you around. Wow. the Truth of God penetrating that old wicked heart of mine and then God gave me a new heart and changing me changing you forever. Remember, there is a real enemy, and he would love to deceive you. Number four is that you may believe. 1 John five thirteen. Love this verse right here. These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is writing this letter because he wants us to believe. He wants us to take these things serious to where we would commit our life to this Savior that he's speaking about here. So let's look at the first reason John wrote this book, 1 John 1, 4. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John is wanting all Christians to have joy. Word, full, joy. Speaking of an abundance, speaking of flowing out of us, a joy that's not just a little trickle, You know, I think of recently getting to go to Niagara Falls. That kind of a gushing that would happen in our lives. The problem is we look for joy in all the wrong places, don't we? How many of us have looked for joy in money? It's going to satisfy. And then we get it and it doesn't satisfy. How about this one? Pleasure. Pleasure seekers. If I can just have pleasure, then I'm going to be joyful. Pleasure's gone in the morning, and your joy is gone. How about if you look for joy in position and fame? Letters behind your name, having a position. I'm the CEO of Nowheresville, I'm CEO of this or that. Position and fame won't give you joy, I'm telling you. Now there's nothing wrong with any of these things, is there? There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Knowledge. A lot of people think, you know, if I go to school, I get all kinds of knowledge, That guess what? It's going to fulfill this problem of me not having no joy, that that's where it's going to be found, in knowledge. Remember when I, company Stussy used to have these shirts when I was growing up called Knowledge is King. I used to have my little Stussy shirt with a little crown, and Knowledge is King. Come to know the Lord and come to find out that, you know what, there is a little truth to that because knowledge is knowing Him. First four letters of knowledge is K-N-O-W. Do you know Him? That's where true knowledge is, in Him. Joy's not found in pleasure and satisfying the flesh. If it's not found in money or having the most toys, if it's not in position and fame, If it's not in all knowledge, power, and strength, we seek for it in all these things. Now, where is it found? Where is true joy found? John wants to make sure we know. It's found in Jesus. In Him. That's where true joy is found. See, for the Christian, joy is not based upon external circumstances. It's not based upon what we're going through at the present time. Whether you're being disciplined right now. Or whether you have a lot or you you don't have any. It's not based upon anything other than the reality that's based upon God and His Word. And upon His faithfulness to us. If you come to experience God's faithfulness in your life, you see His hand working in your life, you will have true joy. Because there's nothing better than knowing that I have a God who loves me and has everything worked out in my life. That is an amazing thing. It's when we're not taking God at his word and we're not trusting in him. We're trusting in our emotions. We're trusting in the way we feel. I'm going to let you know, man, I'm feeling all right, man. I'm feeling okay. But I might walk out of here tonight and I might not be feeling so good when I run across a big, huge wreck with a Mack truck. And it might not be a physical Mack truck. It might be something in my life that God brings in there to mold and shape me and to tell tell me that He loves me and He's going to walk me through it to the end. See, God never said that He would take away the trial. He only said that He would walk us through it. He said He'd never leave us or forsake us. And that is so very important for the Christian to know that. We can't be swayed, man, and and go up and down all the time. Saddens me when I see that. God's never changing, God's stable. Grab hold of Him. The only time that these circumstances start changing in our lives, right, is when we get our eyes off this great God. When we get our eyes on our circumstances. Once again, the old selfish, me, myself, and I. I don't feel good. I don't like this. This ain't right. That's what happens. We get our eyes off of God. Are we looking at Him saying, God, how are you going to use this in my life to mold and shape me and make me into a man or a woman of God? Welcome it. Man, I'm probably going to wish I wouldn't have said this because whenever I am opening myself up right here, God, bring the storm, then you know what? Usually it'll hit me like a Hurricane Katrina also. And I've yet to catch it right away. not going to stand up here and act like I got it all together. But you know what? When the Hurricane Katrina hits my life, I get knocked around a little bit, and then finally I realize, whoa, oh, yeah, that's right. This is part of your wonderful plan, God, for me that I might be able to become more like you, that I might be able to trust you more, that I might be able to give over some things in my life that aren't well-pleasing to you, that I might be able to become more like Jesus. It's tough. Just be assured that if you are His, that He's got everything under control. He knows exactly what He's doing. And John wants his joy to be full Listen to the words in John 15, 11. This is the Lord speaking here. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And in John 15, Jesus is saying that he had spoken to them on certain things. Go back and read it. He spoke to them about abiding in him abiding in Christ if you abide in me right that's what he wants my word abides in you being attached to Jesus the true vine we get our where the roots go down and get that water you know those vitamins and minerals so we can be healthy it's in abiding in Christ the true vine is a giver and sustainer of life And if we abide in Him, then guess what? We'll bear much fruit. Are you bearing the fruit of joy in your life? Or is your life based upon circumstances, and you're really not trusting in God? It's one or the other. It's either you are trusting in God, and if you're trusting in God, it will show, because you will be bearing fruit, because fruit is there for all to see. And we should care about each other enough to say, are we bearing fruit in the kingdom? It's important that I see you bearing fruit. It's important you see me bearing fruit. Am I bearing fruit? And you know what? Yeah, you should have a very big concern for me. That's what we should want for one another. We're growing in love. We're bearing the fruit of joy, peace, kindness, and goodness. Long-suffering, self-control. Man, we need that, don't we? Listen to David in Psalm 1611. I love this verse. This is what he says. You will show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What? Pleasures forevermore? Joy and a fullness of it, they're found. David knew where it came from. David was tapping in. He knew. Listen to John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked anything in my name, asking you where receive, and your joy will be full. Amazing. John tells us if we are focused on him and fellowshipping with him, our joy will be full. Fullness of joy. And we'll be bringing our needs and our concerns to Him. And He'll be answering them. And then we'll get filled with more joy. And there's this, do you see what's going on here? There's a relationship of us and Him. Us and Him. That's what God wants. So much of the time we go to people to get that satisfaction or to get that, to feel good, honestly. It's found in Him. Listen to John 17, 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Is this joy being fulfilled in you? We'll be filled with the joy as we are bringing the gospel, the good news, to a hurt and dying world. We need to be bringing the joy of Jesus to others. Do you want others to experience the joy that you have? Back up. Do you have the joy that they would want? If a non-believer was to take a look at your life, would they be able to say, guess what? There is enough there that I would want. God used certain people in my life that I looked at their life. It's amazing how God always seems to use people to bring us to them. It's amazing. I don't know. He didn't have to, not everybody been reached by another person, but it a pretty, seems like it happens quite a bit, and God used people in my life to minister to me, to get me to Him. And one thing I noticed is that what those people had, I wanted in my life. I looked and I seen, I go, wow! I really could use that kind of joy. I could use that kind of peace. You know, I could use that kind of gentleness. And I'll tell you what, I'm anything but gentle. <laughs> I started taking a look at my life and going, wow, you mean you are just like I was? And I can be like this? And those people shared the joy of Christ with me. I'll tell you what, you think of joy like this, it's very important. J stands for Jesus. J-O-Y. J stands for Jesus. That means to abide in Him. O stands for others. Minister the joy of the Lord to others around you. Are you ministering to them joy, are you ministering to them your long face and your bad attitude and you know what, I wish I had, I, if only I could, if all that. That's where we've been at before Christ. Why would we do that now if we have the Lord in our life? If He really is meeting our needs and we really have this relationship with Him, and and, and gosh, man, there's nothing like it. There's no one like the Lord. Man, we need to be sharing that with others so people would want to, to have what we have. Man, people want what you got. And the Y stands for you. You notice how it's at the very end, J-O-Y? stands for yourself. And what do we need to be doing? Bringing our request to Him. You know, having this relationship with Him. So much of the time, we seem like we bring it to people. As I close the section, we want to continue on for a few weeks in this area. Scripture that we talked about. Couldn't get to it tonight. But John wanted to make sure that, you know what? That we are experiencing the fullness of joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus. That's why he wrote this letter. And that's why, guess what? Christ came. That we would be able to experience his joys. Joy and pleasures forevermore. Listen to a story that I found says, as a third-century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. I think they're fitting. It's a bad word, an incredible bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of a sinful life. They are despised and persecuted They care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Right before death, somebody penned those beautiful words that were found, and we have them today. Are you experiencing the joy of God in your life? It's my prayer that it would be flowing into your life. And not just stopping there, that it would flow through your life onto others.